three men who love to talk about triathlon. The strangest man in triathlon, Steve Lizard McKenna. The angry gnome, Tim Reed, and host, Cole Danny. This is Triathlon Therapy. It's our pleasure today to have New Zealander Terenzo Bazzoni on the podcast. Terenzo's career has involved results that include winning the 2008 Ironman 70.3 World Champs in Florida, multiple Ironman and 70.3 wins, a sixth place in Kona, various junior short course World Championship wins, numerous endurance and multi-sport accolades, and from what I've heard, one of the most approachable athletes in the sport of triathlon. Yeah, Terenzo, I am dead set. Really excited and glad that you decided to come on today. Um, I was actually in uh, Austria last year, just going through a very bad patch of racing, finishing off. <laughs> and um, Sebastian Kinlay said to me, he goes, what's Terenzo doing? Like, it's just so, just disappeared off the map. And, you know, both him and I agreed, you're like up there and one of, probably up there in the top 10 athletes, triathletes of all time. When you look at your body of work, in the sport you know like clearly Kona wasn't the perfect race for you You still managed top 10 there but some of your Ironman results were just mind-blowing not to mention the 70.3 races as well um talk to me a little bit like where you're at um is racing sort of done for you I mean you can say as little or as much as much <laughs> as you want but like are we going to see Terenzo again or is it time as, as the time gone and you've started the next phase of your life yeah, thanks. Some really, really nice introduction, guys. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think, uh, well, COVID came and that kind of put a halt onto, onto traveling and, and racing. So that was kind of a pause for, I thought it would be a pause for six months, which turned into a year. And then, and then from there, it didn't look like New Zealand was going to open up. So it was basically another year uh, on from that. So two years after... Um, and then I probably had a year before that where I was injured and, and, uh, um, and then the year before that I had the car, uh, the accident where I, um, got hit by the truck. Uh, so it's been a, <laughs> a long, long break from when I was racing and when I was kind of at the top of top of the game. Um, and during COVID kind of in that middle period, about a year, a year and I, started thinking about it. What am I going to do? Am I going to go back racing when the borders open or am I going to just, yeah, try and move on to the next chapter in my life? And, and it took uh, a lot of thought and, and I put, uh, yeah, a lot of time into it. And my conclusion was that I was, I, I guess, raced professionally for over 20 years, um, and achieved pretty much everything that I wanted to achieve, except for winning the Ironman world champs in Kona. Uh, and I felt like I could walk away with, with what I had done in the sport, um, and, and keep my head held high and and be happy with, with what I had, what I had done and what I had achieved. So, uh, that was then. And, and yeah, basically I thought, oh yeah, cool. I'll I'll keep fit and keep doing exercise just because I like exercising. Um, well, while that still remains the same, I do enjoy exercising. I am the least thing from fit (laughs) at the moment. Um, went for a jog last night at five minute K pace and I was absolutely ruined at the end of it. Um, which I'm not proud of, but I know, and I know that needs to change, but yeah, Timmy, you don't, you don't have anything to worry about, buddy. I'm, uh, I'm not, not towing the start line anytime soon. <laughs> Terenzo, talk to me like for, for myself, um, the transition, I guess, to realizing that I wasn't going to be focused on winning, focusing on winning races anymore. That's that really singular purpose day to day, which I, I look back on and realize how much I loved that simple purpose. I really struggled with it. Um, uh, the transition was, 
And and for me, I guess I wasn't a lifelong athlete like you. I started very late. I was an age grouper, slowly crept my way up into the pro ranks and really only did a few years where I was like a really full-time pro. For yourself, I mean, you were going as an elite from when you were like 15. How can you over, like, how was that transition? Was it, was it as, as hard as many people find it for you or not as, not too bad? We were definitely ready in an easy transition. Well, I, I think that's probably why I haven't been doing a lot of exercise in the triathlon space because I just, I thought, oh, just, I don't want to kind of do exercise and, and start thinking I can do stuff. But, but going to races with that mentality of, of, yeah, just there to participate because I don't think, I don't think that would work for me. I, I think I'd really struggle. Um, but, but that, I guess that high performance and that, that chasing, chasing the best out of yourself, I really miss that. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that and, and wish I, if, I mean, if anything, just, just to be doing triathlon, to be chasing that and trying to get the most out of myself and testing, testing the limits, that would have been, oh, that would have been all the reason I would need. But I, um, yeah, I guess taking that into other aspects in life, I've um, yeah, developed some property a couple of years ago. And uh, I guess that, that high performance side of it uh, and, and discipline that I had in triathlon, it was, it worked quite good to kind of cross that over into, into work. But um, I know Mac, Mac warned me when, when he finished up racing, he was like, mate, don't, don't ever stop racing. It's, it's the worst thing ever. It's like the real, <laughs> the real world sucks. And I was like, no, what do you know? It's, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. But I was, uh, yeah, working on this development, I was project managing and managing people, which, which I, um, yeah, which is quite new for me because I've spent my whole career managing myself. So managing people and and my expectations are not what other people's. I mean, you would know, Tim. You have really high expectations of yourself, and you kind of you expect that to cross over into into everyone, especially if they're working for you, um, which didn't happen. And and it was just frustrating, like hitting your head against the wall. So I was uh, I was, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> still trying to trying to work through that and nurture that, and uh, yeah, I guess trying to understand that everyone has different um different morals and different different limits and and uh yeah how, how to manage people i guess that's a quite a good good strength for managers and ceos they know how to push people's buttons and get the most out of them the pto have released a new world ranking system this is a tiered system which categorizes races into five different levels based on the prize purse available. Diamond races involve prize money of $500,000 or more, including all PTO events, Collins Cup, and the Ironman World Champs. Platinum races involve prize money between $350,000 to $500,000 and includes the Ironman 70.3 World Champs, Challenge Roth, and the ITU Long Distance Championship. Gold races involve prize money between $75,000 to $350,000 for middle distance and between $150,000 to $350,000 for full distance, including Ironman and 70.3 Regional Championships, Challenge Family Championship and Clash Daytona. Silver races involve prize money between $25,000 to $75,000 for middle distance and between $50,000 and $150,000 for full distance and includes most Ironmans and 70.3 events, Clash Miami and most Challenge Family events. Bronze races involve prize money between $10,000 and $25,000 for middle distance and between $10,000 to $50,000 
for full distance, including some challenge family events and independent events. Steve, you were critical of the previous system. Are you happy with the new system? How does this new system impact your 2023 race schedule? And what do you think this means for Australian racing moving forward? Uh, I think it's great in the long run, but it's really frustrating that they've they um, I just talked to Dylan McNeese about this too, and he's like the most responsive, amazing, takes criticism, um, nice guy. You got you would know him, you guys. He's yeah. awesome. And I just said to him then, I was like, oh, it is a bit dis like devastating that I worked the system out finally. I did an <laughs> Ironman. <laughs> I got 31st in the world. I'm like definitely going to the PTO tour next year. And then they changed the system and they just said, we're going to apply it to last year's results. So we all learn this system. We learn how to work it. I step up to an Ironman and actually train for an Ironman for the first time, get a 750, get 100 points or whatever it was, move up to 31st. All right, I'm in the tour. Did it. Now um, they've done this whole um, let's let's apply it to the last year's races. And now I'm 38. I'm out of the tour. And oh shit, <laughs> I have to kind of. Um, I don't, anyway, I'm critical of that decision, but everything else in the long run, this is good. Me and Reedy talked about this for a long time. We were pissed off at, at how to get points. Um, we realized how to get points. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so they got so, halfway yeah. there, Steve, in terms of it became an objective system based off, which is everyone should know going into a race. This is this will get me good ranking. This won't get me good ranking. That's super important. So they've done that. I agree. That's a shame for the guys that, did play the system last year and then the system's changed. I, I feel for you, mate. That's that's pretty rough. Um, thankfully, you're young and talented. We can go chase some more races. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> think, yeah, like, so. the, the, you know, like you, you've asked, how does it affect your calendar? Now I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't do um, uh, Port Mac. I should do the ITU long course champs. That's a platinum race, second tier. But... They're saying three hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand prize money, but it's actually only got sixty thousand prize money. So it's a big trip for fucking ten grand to win. <laughs> yeah. Where is it this year? Uh, it's on the day after the Europe Open in um, you know, Ibiza. Ibiza. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Did they do try? More than a ten thousand dollars. <laughs> That's ten thousand dollar loss by the sound of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then another 10000 on the party afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Terenzo, when you, I mean, you went through a few different ranking systems. What did you think of the original Ironman ranking system? Um, and, and, I mean, you don't have to comment too much on the, the previous system that's just changed, but the initial system, did you feel that worked when it first yeah. brought in? Was that brought in by Ironman, not PTO? Yeah, the Ironman. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah. No, I... Um... Uh, to be honest, I, I never really paid a lot of attention to those systems. I always looked for races that kind of fitted into my schedule and and there wasn't, I mean, there was no, early on, there were no benefits really other than getting into races. There were no benefits, like no end of season pool, like bonus or, um, but I do remember, I think I was after, after one year, I was up, uh, I was ranked in like the top two, three, four. Um, on that Ironman system, so I quite liked it at that stage, and would have liked the PTO bonus. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, um, and then also, I mean, before that, we had ITU, the ITU system, um, and I think oh, it's just it's quite confusing. And unless you actually think about it and, and, and integrate into those systems, uh, it makes it quite a, a hard thing to to go by. But it sounds like uh, looking at this P, the new PTO thing. It sounds like it's quite straightforward 
and and everyone knows plan your season you know what you're getting when you go into it i think i think that part of it's quite good and the other thing is that the ranking really matters now like you said i think sometimes i'd be in the top three or four and i was like oh that's cool i'll I'll sell that to sponsors but it doesn't really change anything or mean anything whereas this especially in a time where look sponsorship's going to be a struggle for a lot of athletes just because of the economy um it tends to follow that cycle I think it's really important when ranking matters because the PTO is so generous with with money and and also with the prize money they're putting into races. It really yeah, matters. When we were going, Tim. What's that? Where was all this money <laughs> when we were racing? I know. Although we did have, we did have, did have a few good paydays in the Middle East, if I remember correctly. <laughs> um, and I think so. Being really clear for everyone, transparent system is super important. Well done, PTO for grabbing the rankings and giving it a shuffle it's uh, i think it's a great move steve yeah it had to happen i'm i'll finish my negativity with a positive i'm very happy that it's happened and i'll just play this new system and i won't complain because i'm <laughs> i'm trying not to be good at that anymore <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah the ptos ha- they ha- honestly have been great and this new system at least they listened and they've changed it so this is this is exactly what we wanted Sam Long's recently announced he and his partner are having a baby. Terenzo, Steve and Reedy, as professional athletes with a family, how will baby life change Sam's training and racing moving forward? Terenzo. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to be careful what I say here. Ch- chatting with chatting with you you guys, it just makes me want to just talk talk rubbish, but none of, none of it would actually mean anything. So I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk properly. Um, talk yeah, no, it, it was... <laughs> <laughs> I um oh, to be honest I was I was actually really lucky we we live in Auckland with uh, my my wife and her family just around the corner my family around the corner uh so having them around was was quite uh quite lucky but definitely through the nights um there would be yeah sleep would be interrupted doesn't matter where you are in the house sleep's always interrupted with with newborns um travel becomes a lot harder like you don't want to spend time away from your family and I know I, I spent a, a quite a fair amount of time. I think when my daughter was born, about a, not even a month, when she wasn't even a month old, I headed up to Europe and did six, uh, I think, yeah, four, six-week block up there. Um, I missed my son's first steps. I was actually hanging out at home. He was about a, just for his first birthday. And then I was heading off for a race, and he was so close, so close. And I was encouraging him. No, I wasn't getting it. I had to go to the airport. In the taxi to the airport, uh, Kelly calls me up and she's like, oh, yeah, Kev just did his first step. I'm like, great, this is awesome time. <laughs> um, and I, I, think, I think we're lucky as triathletes in the sense that we can, like during a training day when, when you're at home with, with your wife and your kid, you can go train, come home, spend some time with, with your kid while you recover um, and then do it again. And, and you're, you're there probably more than someone working a nine-to-five job um, and then at times when you have your off-season you're there 100% of the time um, which is good but yeah it's 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 not easy and there are a lot of sacrifices and it's trying to balance those sacrifices between family and I mean it is your profession so you don't really want to start sacrificing your training and 
and racing because that's kind of where where that money's coming in that puts a roof over your family's head and food on the table. Yeah, I think the the hardest thing um, and similar. I, I sort of started. I only got a year or two of pro racing. Actually, maybe one year of pro racing before I had a child. So it was sort of became the norm for me. But by the time <laughs> I had two, I think from pretty much after 2015, I didn't win a race unless I'd done at least a two week training camp solo without the kids and the biggest thing that steve has been going through is just the constant sickness you know like once they start going to daycare or yeah um preschool and then school it's like you, you just very because your immune system's always on edge with the level of training we were doing um you're the first one to go down in the house and you end up missing a couple of races or your race you know half half sick um so that that's going to be a big factor and then the other part um, I think that people underestimate, and especially for massive volume trainers like Sam Long and and uh, Lionel, is just coming home and then the expectation that th their wife just feeling like they've been out just having a really enjoyable, leisurely time, which a lot of the time it is, let's not lie. I pretended it was always <laughs> pain and suffering. <laughs> um, but it's it's just there's a lot of tension in the relationship because you're dealing with just two very exhausted people. And it's important that if you're going into that, just to know that it's going to, not going to be easy between you. I actually found that the parenting side of it, not that hard. I just found the relationship stress a real surprise to me. Steve? Well, I have a question for you guys because um, I'm kind of going through, this is very relevant in my life right now and life balance needs to get a bit better. But uh, did you guys ever have any resentment from your partner's when you went away and missed key moments or anything like this? Yeah, I, I think um, there was resent. Actually, I found being away almost easier than when I was there um, for, for Monica because I wasn't an option. And if I was, you know, on the trainer in the other room, it was there was a lot of frustration if I didn't get off when all hell was breaking loose. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, Monica was super supportive. I was very lucky and we realised... Um, early on, especially, you know, that there's a small opportunity to, to do quite well in the sport. And, and at least a few of those years, um, Monica took some sacrifices with her career and really stepped up to the plate. And then, you know, it sort of would swing back. And now that the balance is returning, I hope, <laughs> I like to think. <laughs> what yeah, about you, Terenzo, was there? Um, just uh no no not really it was no i was i was i, I think i was quite lucky because yeah i mean she understood stood what i had to do we've been dating since i was 18 years 18 19 years old um so she kind of yeah 19 um so she knew what she was expecting all the time the problem would be when i would come home from a trip and try and help and that didn't work very well because I wasn't doing it the right way. Um, <laughs> and now, now she's been stuck with me for three years and that's, uh, yeah, she was, uh, that's a bit of a, for me, I'm great. I think it's a bit of a reality check for her. She's like, hang on a minute. I didn't sign up for you full time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you, cause, cause you were dating since you were 18, you just set the expectations so low <laughs> well, that there was never really any resentment. Yeah. <laughs> That's my problem. I've, I, when I first started, Reedy, I met you and I was really relaxed about being a pro. Obviously, I'd just gone pro. We met at Racine 70.3 and I was, you know, 18 months since learning how to swim and ride. So I come into the sport, I'm chilled. 
uh, didn't really care as much. Had a lot of fun with Lauren as well, but I was shit. So, <laughs> so then as soon as I got good, um, oh sorry, as soon as I got okay, not good yet. <laughs> um, you're Australian. You know, you're allowed to say you're good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then, then um, I took it more seriously, and I think that's um, that's why Lauren's seen a change. And yeah, I'm just not very good at helping around the house. So, like you said, I have to like punch myself in the face when I get home just to get quickly walking with blood on my face. Oh, car hit me. I need sympathy. I'm sorry I didn't help, sorry I didn't help today. <laughs> uh, I must admit, that's probably the hardest The hardest part was be, like if you finish a long bike ride and you come in the door and then, yeah, like she wants something or the kids are expecting or your wife's expecting something from you pretty quickly. So I think that that would be one 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 pointer is like, get in or like sit around the corner for a minute drink drink your drink and <laughs> yeah. just get get yourself cooled off because i mean on a long bike ride you come back you're a little bit you're very depleted you're hungry yeah. like just yeah either tell lauren to make you a snack for when you come home yeah a five a five hour ride can include a two hour nap in the car around the corner <laughs> <laughs> Racing for training. Reedy and Terenzo, is this a yay or a nay? You go first on this one, Reedy. Well, I guess both you and I were pretty prolific racers, Terenzo, for good and for bad. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say there's some plenty of shockers out there from both of us um, <laughs> and some and some good ones. But, I mean, as a coach, I look at it uh, very much dependent on the personality type and also where the athlete's at. I think the athlete's ego plays a massive role. Can I throw them into a race as a really good hard session to go through the motions, test out their nutrition, test out their bike position, just get everything dialed before their A race, um, knowing that they're not going to be upset that it's not that they're a bit tired and race a little bit subpar. Some athletes can handle it, some can't, and that's why there's a few athletes who it's it's just too much um, stress for them. They get too disappointed on themselves for not being where they thought they would be, um, or they just don't listen to the program and taper too much for that race and you end up taking a big step back in fitness because instead of using it as a training solid hit out, they're freshened up and they have a really good race and then they actually end up losing 10 to 12 days of good training leading into the A race. Um, for myself, it depended on different stages of my career, but I, I always found a tune-up race really helpful. Um, mainly, it would help a lot. You know, I was a very anxious racer. I struggled with sleep the night before big races. Sometimes doing a, a, a build race was a nice way to just make sure everything was sorted. I'd, I'd get about four hours tinkering on the bike the day before out of the way. And then for the big, the big race, it, I wouldn't be tinkering around because I'd be happy with where it was at. Um, so I guess the answer is it depends. Um, your thoughts, T? Yeah, I, um, it's an interesting one. I, I, well, well, like you said, while there were plenty of shockers out there, I never intentionally got on a start line if I didn't feel like I was in a position to win. Um, I always, yeah, when, when I went to race, I always was there to to race that race. I wasn't there for a training day. Um, and, well, I mean, while well, results kind of show that that wasn't always the case, I, um, yeah, I, and, and how, what I would like, what I enjoyed doing was getting getting to a point where I was fit and ready to go and then doing a block of races 
um, and I found that really helped. And I'd kind of start on a on a lower tier, maybe a slightly easier race, because uh, I know that it would be a bit of a shock to the system, and that would that would bring me up a level. The second race would bring me up a level, and I'd find sometimes that second weekend or third weekend of racing uh, just made made a huge difference in my performance gains, and. I, I yeah I was a strong believer that 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 worked for me and and like you said really it's different for everyone I mean some people would would race two weekends in a row and uh, by the second weekend they would be absolutely wrecked but uh, for some reason I think probably with the amount of volume I've done in my career that that kind of worked quite well for me. Just to go back to that T because this is something I did want to touch on a bit more like you were a super high volume athlete especially when you were young. And and you, I, I always assumed the reason that you could race week to week, like every two weeks or sometimes week to week and get better and better, I always put that down to that incredible base that you had. Um, the other thing I was told, like, is that you, I don't know if you, you might have told Dan Plews this, that like muscle health was in, like critical for you to back up those races and that the rumour was having it, it was that you're getting a massage every single day between races. Um <laughs> And but it was incredible. You, you used to be able to race, fly to another country, go even faster the next week, and then go even faster again, th- th- three third weeks, sometimes four races in a row. When you talk about that block that you were deluding into it, was it just sort of a, a level of training that you you then knew you could, you wouldn't be losing too much as you went into the race phase? How did it all work, and how did you pull it off? Uh, I think, I mean, yeah, the, the high volume stuff was definitely very early on in my career. Um, that kind of tapered off the last, yeah, quite probably 10 years or so. I wasn't doing nearly as much volume. Um, but I, I mean, my workouts were, were good workouts. And I, I get from the numbers in my training, I would know where I was at. And, and I would know that if I was at those numbers, my recovery would be, would be good. Uh, but like you said, that, that muscle health and, and overall health was a big thing I would um, I mean, there would be lots of things like, uh, yeah, massage. There would, if my, my trainer was traveling with me, which I started doing at the end of my career, um, I would get mass like treatments for probably an hour to two hours a day. Um, and yeah, Normatex, I uh, would always be conscious about recovery spins and, um, yeah, good, just good nutrition. Nutrition was a, was a big one. Um, yeah, it was just. Everything that I could do between races was 100% focused on, on that recovery, um, which made which made a huge difference for me. I think, um, and I wasn't. I think, with what I was doing, like as long as I was hitting those races and hitting them, hitting them very hard, I wasn't conscious. I wasn't worried about the lack of training I would do that next week, and and. Because, like you know, like every time you you have a good race or you have a big hit, it brings you up to a new level. And so, yeah, I wasn't worried about trying to cram anything in that week. It was just a hundred percent on recovery, and and then just tuning up, getting into that race. It's interesting. I had a, a coach who was very anti me racing too much, but I was the same as you. I would always find, in fact, under when I was racing with that coach, all of my races that he was that we were targeting, I actually did way better numbers two weeks later in a backup race that I would do <laughs> just in case that race went poorly, which yeah. it we did two weeks later, the numbers would be so much better. So I think um, just to support what you're saying, I think even even though there's a lot of uh, coaches out there who are against over racing, I, I certainly didn't see it with my own levels. I, I saw that I could go up over two weeks. Um, 
backing yeah. up. Um, well, I don't think I don't yeah. think either of us raced as much as Blumenfeld races. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Can you guys recall how many weeks in a row? Like what your record is? Five, six weekends in a row. I think Steve's might be four. No, no, mine is nineteen races in sixteen weeks. <clears throat> when I first started, that was that. They were all shit races, and I wasn't a pro yet. It was like when I first started, I was like, "Oh, I want to do this. Let's let's just get race savvy straight away." <laughs> yeah. How is that even possible? I, I, I did four in one week because Aptoes has two, and I came from a race, and I did a race somewhere else on the Sunday. So it was, um, and my fourth race was Marseille Triathlon, and it was my best one. <laughs> How much money did you make from that entire block of racing? Yeah, the whole block. I got a, you know, those electrodes that um, zap you on the legs, and they're Complex. meant to help. I got yeah. one of those, a heap of <laughs> useless trophies, and probably about five thousand euro all up. <laughs> <laughs> so you're down quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I got a few free pens as well. Oh, sweet. Trends. What was your record? I, I think I want to say four. Um, yeah, early on in my career, I did, uh, did um, was it uh, St. Croix? It was a 70.3 St. Croix, um, and then went to Florida for St. Anthony's. Um, so I think one St. Croix, maybe third or fourth of St. Anthony's. And then it was that Rev 3 year that the, the Rev 3 had a bonus. And I was like, oh, do I, don't I, do I, don't I? And I had a sponsor's commitment up uh, up north and uh, on east on the East Coast, and I did that, and halfway through, I was like, oh yeah, no, it's okay. It's been it's been a good two weeks. I'll I'll go to Knoxville and and do that. So I went to Knoxville and and had a pretty good race there. Um, so that was three early on, which was quite like quite new at the time. But then my best my best and longest would be four races over four weekends. Um, uh, it was Carbo seventy point three, and then. A win? Island House. Give the so, results to T just to just so the listeners realise how good it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, win in Carbo seventy point three. Um, then Island House Invitational. Uh, lost to Ben Canute in a sprint finish, um, and then from there went over to Bahrain for Bahrain seventy point three, and Blumenfeld just got me. And then um, from there went down to Perth and did Ironman WA, um, and won that. Oh, yeah. I was pretty stoked with that. With I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll eat out I'll dine out on that one for a while. <laughs> um, I do want to ask. I'm going a bit off tangent here, but I'd be it'd be remiss of me if I didn't ask it because I know people will be super curious about it. There's two things I want to ask you about, um, and I feel like it might have changed the way you trained a little bit because you did have some really successful racing after both of these things in your career. The first one was when you went and trained with Jan Fredino. Um, Talk to me a little bit about how different was the training and did it affect how you trained after you left training with him? Because you did go on a bit of a tear after that. Uh, you know, you would, it was always Terenzo every two years or so, you'd just go on a tear and win six or seven races. And then you'd go quiet for a bit with an injury or something would happen and then boom, you'd be back. So talk to me about the post-Fredino. And then the other one I wanted to ask him about was Dan Plews, who I've got a lot of time and respect for and obviously worked with for a brief period um what affects how did he change your training because that also seemed to stimulate another great flurry of Terenzo performances <laughs> thanks um yeah Jan was that that was an interesting one I um yeah he said, I, yeah we, we caught up during um one of our trips in Bahrain and he said I'll come up to Girona and train and uh my wife gets on with Emma well so 
thought that'll be a, a fun little adventure. So we went up there and uh, when was that? 2015, 2015-ish. Um, and the Probably the the biggest things from Jan. I mean, his his training was was amazing. Like how I would be so focused between races on my recovery, that was Jan every day. Uh, he's just every day he's trying to trying to get uh, percentage gains here, percentage gains there, and uh, his workouts were all very a lot more structured than, a lot more intense than what what I was used to. Um, and then. He also pulled pulled me aside, and this was probably the biggest thing. He pulled me aside, and he was like, "You're you're a good athlete, Terenzo. Like, what 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 are you doing? You're just like you're just going around like." And it was it was well called at that time. I was kind of just I guess uh, I'd call it a journeyman. I was just kind of traveling around and ticking the boxes here and there, and and I wasn't really focused on on that high performance side of it and trying to get the best out of myself. And that was. Um, and also from there, it was like, well, wh- why are you racing that race? You're not ready. You like, don't race that race. Go race. I mean, race when you're ready to race. And Jan does a great job of that. You know, if he's standing on the start line, he's going to break records and um, and some. So that was probably the two big things that I'm like, yeah, of course, Jan. Like, why am I, <laughs> I got to back myself. Of course, of course you do. And yeah, why would you race if you're not ready to to perform, especially at this stage in your career? Um, and at that stage when appearance monies were appearance money was uh, almost non-existent at that stage so um, that was yeah that was pretty refreshing and uh, yeah so that's when I started traveling a bit more with the trainer um, taking him around to to work on my body and look after that uh, put a lot more emphasis in that especially getting older as well um, and then yeah uh, migrating to uh, Dan Plews as a coach that that was really good um, kind of took a little bit of what what Jan had done, um, and then kind of what Dan what Dan was doing. Dan Dan was a wealth of knowledge and and really good in that space, and uh, also had a lot lot of input into the diet side of things. Um, and yeah, just really, I, I really enjoyed it because Dan and I could could go out and train together. Um, and he would, I mean, well, he is an age grouper. He he actually is. He works he works bloody hard. He has a I mean, at that stage, I think he had three or four full-time jobs, and he would just make make time for training, and I'd I'd fit in around him, and he'd he'd try and um yeah try and try and wake up early and, and get stuff done, and, and weekends were always very heavily heavily loaded, um, and it was before kids for him as well, so he had a little bit little bit more time, and that just it just really yeah really worked well, um, and that that close communication that we had with with being coaches friends and and training partners uh was yeah i think i think really beneficial people might be interested in this but i am you you made a point of your recovery rides as well not just the massage and having your trainer there did you mean just extra light sort of a blood flush after training which wasn't on the program but you just added recovery rides in to get blood through the legs to speed up recovery or are you talking just I was, uh, you saw the importance in a recovery ride for making it easier or what was the power like on your recovery rides that you were trying to get done? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I get, like if I, if I, if I was racing week to week, um, I'd finish the race and get on the bike and do an hour, like super easy just to flush the legs. Uh, the next day would be probably an hour and a half ish um again super easy under 200 watts and that would be 
that would be my way. I probably wouldn't run for the first first probably three days after a race. I'd kind of wait until at least halfway through the through the week. Um, and swimming, I'll jump in the pool pretty again the day following the race and do do recovery swim. But everything was just super easy. Um, and I mean, maybe by Wednesday or Thursday, I'll try and get a three-hour bike ride done. But again, easy. Um, and then I would run my my pretty much had a three-day three-day run into any race, um, and I'll just run that into into the race. Um, unless, of course, I still felt pretty pretty flat, then I would push that back a day. What about in a training block? Would you would you say your power on if you have like a range of an aerobic ride? If if um, your coach Dan Plews puts in an aerobic ride, there's not much detail to it. Would you go? Oh, my legs are feeling good. I'll push 220 watts for the whole ride and just kind of sit there aerobically. Or would you usually go? This is recovery. This per- the purpose of this endurance ride. Do you stick to lower watts, or is it just w- where the legs are at? Um. I well, that's yeah. Uh, you don't get many easy rides with Dan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I know. Well, Braden, you know, Braden Curry, <laughs> his recovery rides were like you know 250 watts. When I just went with one with him, and someone said, "I'll oh, be," ca-. I think Reedy, you said, "Be careful." He rides pretty hard on his easy ones, <laughs> and I was I was curious as to what you did, being a high volume guy as well. Yeah, and no, I um, I mean, when I'm trying, like when I'm in the middle of a block, and and I have. I mean, and especially with Dan, everything would be would be very structured. Uh, even I mean, the endurance rides would have would have Ironman intervals in them. Uh, there wasn't often a, a ride that was just easy and endurance. And and if it was, we would do that on a on a hilly terrain where you're trying to ride at your Ironman or seventy point three watts up the hills, um, and and get get as much volume as you could in. But uh, I never really had a recovery endurance ride. There would always be purpose for it. And if it was a recovery ride, it would generally it would be either a flat ride at home or I'd do it on the wind trainer just do 40 to 60 minutes. But got to the point and probably had a lot to do with the amount of volume I had done throughout my career that if you're going to recover, sit on the couch, it's a lot more beneficial. <laughs> yeah. And I was uh, at the same breath. I was getting a, a lot of body work. So I was, I was getting massage. I was uh, sitting with my Normatex on. Um, so I was always conscious about that kind of stuff. But I, I, I was also very conscious that doing something one day, is it going to add to the numbers you can generate the next day when you actually have to do a proper workout or is it going to take away from it? And that was a question I always asked myself. That's awesome. I love the ride after the race. That was pretty interesting. That's a good one. <laughs> good question. It's hard with triathlon, eh? Because I mean, if you're a runner or if you're a cyclist, you always walk warm down after after an event. But as a yeah. triathlon, shit, you've swum, you've biked, you've run, and now you got to make your way back to your hotel and and eat dinner and worry about recovery and where the after party is. <laughs> <laughs> Righto, episode sponsor, Steve. Mate, as you know, I used to do a lot of shoe testing. I was fascinated with the new crop of super shoes, and I used to do hundreds of kilometres of laps around my house comparing shoes. And then I completely quit because you found a better way of doing it, and they've kindly come on board to sponsor you. Talk to me about the show sponsor. Yeah, I think I picked up my um, picky shoe like testing pre-race just change your mind five times pre-race as well <laughs> what shoe you're going to use from you 
But um, Sportitude has just sponsored me. Um, we've been working together uh, about a year now, um, supplying shoes, but now it's kind of a proper sponsorship. And what, what they do is you go in and see what shoe works best for you. So they've got two treadmills. You can do a five-minute or a 30-minute test. And, yeah, they just figure out, based on ground contact time, your running gait, everything, um, what shoe suits you best. So they've got every brand you could imagine. They're online, um, and it's really – uh it's been a good sponsor for me because i can wear any shoe i want um and yeah they've been great it's good yeah whole reason the whole reason i'm coming down there steve to do the adelaide camp is not really to do the camp it's just i want to go and stop in at that shop stop <laughs> in at that store and work out whether my testing was accurate compared to yeah. this so yeah good on him. thanks for sponsoring the episode and thanks for looking after steve he needs all the help he can get <laughs> <laughs> So we've been absolutely stoked with the number of fan questions that have come through the Triathlon Therapy podcast Instagram page. So keep those coming. So the first question we'll throw over to you, Terenzo, and it is, what are the benefits of training at altitude or in heat right before a race? I guess to make that a bit more uh, a quick answer for you, T, um, would you take heat or if you had to choose one or the other, would you take heat or altitude? Yeah, I I would. T- I think I would take heat. I've, I've never really done much altitude. Well, I haven't done any altitude, um, and it, yeah, I don't, I can't comment on that. But heat always worked quite well for me. What are the benefits of low heart rate training, and how do you advise your athletes ready on these sessions? That's a really long answer. Um, I'll keep it as brief as I can. Uh, basically, it's about working at an intensity that you can back up day after day, but you still get all the benefits of that aerobic training without accumulating um, fatigue or getting injured. So for typic- typically that low heart rate training is, is where you get this, uh, your body goes on a process called capillarization where all the little vessels that feed blood to the uh, muscles start to expand and grow. And so you, you, your muscles receive more blood. You, you generally... Um, you typically really enhance your fat burning capacity at that, that intensity. Um, and the biggest thing is just consistency of training and being able to back it up week after week, put together not only a good week, you put together a good month, you put together a good six months and you don't see the plateau in performance like you do where you're constantly smashing that anaerobic threshold work, which is, um, you definitely see some nice fitness gains with anaerobic threshold work, but it does tend to plateau you know, that four to five, six weeks in, whereas that aerobic zone two work as Terenzo would have built up since he was 15 years of age meant that he could jump back in after six, you know, he would have an injury. And I used to always say, if Terenzo has been injured and he's back doing a race, that was when I was most scared of him because he would be not only fit, but he'd be fresh. And you would put in six to eight weeks, maybe 10 (laughs) weeks of really good training. I'd be like, no one can beat him. And then actually sometimes when you had no interruptions to your training, I'd be like, oh, Terenzo will be a bit tired today. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but it was largely that, all that base work that you do, all those changes that you make at a cellular level, a lot of that doesn't disappear and it builds up over your career. And it's why, um, you know, you see pros come back after six months off and they can get fit really fast. So that's how zone two training super important. And if you don't have heart rate, the, Easiest way to know whether you're in zone two or not is can you hold a conversation with someone? 
So there were a few cheeky questions. Uh, so this is a combination of about four or five, and it's definitely a Steve question. Does <laughs> does overtraining kill your libido? And will sex before a race negatively impact your energy during that race? Yeah, I think pe- people sent this in because that that podcast I did with how they train, where I said if you can't get a boner, then you're training too much or too hard. Um, and then there was T-shirts made with a boner on it. myself like that so anyway i think it's all relative to who you are i think it's very individual so if you're in your first year of triathlon 15 hours is probably enough to kill your libido and it's new to you and you're fatigued and uh but if, if you compare me to like a norwegian right now 30 hours of training for me right now i'd probably lose a bit of my libido and i'd be extra tired whereas you know i think uh, Christian and Gustav would be real, real horny on 30, <laughs> <laughs> on 30 hours of training. So if they're not around 35, then yeah, they'll be walking around with gigantic boners, whereas I'll, <laughs> I'll be pretty shagged. Um, but then sex before a race, I think that was in there as well. Um, I don't think this affects performance at all. Um, I tried to look this up. Um, I'm always... I would always prefer to have sex before a race. It's more relaxing, lowers cortisol, all sorts of things. But um, I never get sex before a race, so I, that's why I race pretty poorly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just if people do want to go into that more, there was I wrote a blog a long time ago about libido-guided training to know when you're getting a bit overtrained. So that's on the RPG coaching website. Check it out. Terenzo, we've got a couple of our own to end the podcast. Okay. And uh, first being, what was your biggest ever training week? Uh, biggest ever, I was, uh, when was this, 2004, before I won Wildflower. I, I hit, um, I think it must have been February. I hit a week 52 hours. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you have sex at all? <laughs> <laughs> that was included in the 52. Yeah. <laughs> that took the two minutes, wasn't it, Trenton? Yeah, yeah. And then I did uh, I did one, one, one training camp in Kona where I rode 1,000 Ks, ran 100 Ks, and I don't know, swam, swam something. But that was, uh, oh, that was also wow. good. But you go to America, the roads are so good. <laughs> is that your hardest week as well, or was there a week that was harder in your career? Uh, um yeah i would definitely go harder there was there was a lot more intensity um that was that was specifically an endurance block before i uh, which i finished that endurance block and then reset and did a did a strength and speed block leading into wildflower and had a blinder of a performance there what was your greatest ever race um that race in wildflower in 2004 would be pretty hard to top um Am I getting the year right, Tim? I think I've got the year wrong. 2006. And I hadn't even started triathlon at that point. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, two, sorry, 2006, not 2004. Um, that, yeah, that uh, broke the record. Beat um, that Simon Lessing broke the year before. Um, and I broke it by like six minutes, and that was that was pretty cool. My my motivation to that race was the year before was my first half iron, well, first overseas half Ironman, and. Um, Simon, I was on the bike with Simon Lessing. Bjorn Anderson was up the road, and with the USAT rules, you had to stagger, so you couldn't be ten meters behind someone, but you you had to be on the opposite side of the road. And so I was staggering, and there would be there was one corner that I saw the corner coming and took went to the inside line, and then Lessing moved over, 
to that side of the road and looked over his shoulder and saw me behind him and and he got really pissed off at the finish line he called called me a cheat and told me to stop drafting and um so that was uh yeah a big big motivating factor for me to uh i was looking forward to cleaning him up the following year um <laughs> but you know in late, later parts of my career i think um yeah, winning Ironman New Zealand, that was pretty cool uh, after years of trying and breaking the record at the time, going under eight hours. And, um, yeah, that, that would probably be one of my more, more recent highlights. And then six at uh, World Champs in Kona. Do you have any regrets? No, no, I don't. Um, yeah, I, I can I, yeah, walk away from the sport thinking very well very very happy with what i've achieved and the people i've met and the things i've done and the journeys i've gone on and i'm very grateful for everything triathlon gave me over those years so i'm yeah very very happy with with everything in my life and wouldn't wouldn't change anything well t mate's been really really stoked to have you on thanks so much for um giving opening up on a few things but also just reflecting on what was you know a truly amazing career when you look at how many years you raced and so many amazing races i mean even that wildflower race that you're talking about um it's just i i got told about that from so many other pros before i'd even like before i'd even met you so um yeah no i just it's just cool to have you on and and to i guess people need to people forget some of the greats in the sport and you truly are one of the greats and i'm just glad that we can um chat to you before you further disappear into the abyss of, of real life <laughs> <laughs> thanks really. thanks thanks for reaching out and yeah steve mate keep keep up the good work it's awesome to see you coming through and uh yeah cheers dan as well <laughs>